Yo, 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 we're going to get started. Good morning, good evening, good night, good afternoon. Whatever time you're listening in, wherever you're listening from, shout out to my Spotify listenership, Apple and Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and YouTube. If you're watching in, thanks for giving me a reason to get dressed. Coming live from my voice to your phone, headphones, TV, or car stereo. You could have been anywhere in the world right now, but your attention is here. Take a moment to be present and recognize that it is now, right now. Whether you're right now is working, running, exercising, cleaning, laying down, flying, driving. Let's just be grateful we're alive, baby. Failure can be frightening. However, as Winston Churchill reminds us, success is all about going from failure to failure without losing enthusiasm. This is I Will Not Lose podcast, where we set out to prove that everything is learned from failure if we persevere and recognize it as one step closer to success. I'm your host, Tony Ortiz. Let's jump right in. We got a very special guest on the airwaves today is Brian P. Yant. Thank you. What's going on, man? Oh, not much. Not much. I've been wanting to visit here and and do this with you. So, Yeah, we've been talking about this for a few months now. I'm a rookie. This is my getting my cherry popped here. (laughs) (laughs) Now, you've done radio before, though, no? Uh, No, just like basic stuff for, you know, companies I've worked for. If if I had television would interview me or something like that. But no, not really radio. This is is my first experience. Oh, man, it's live. It's live. So I know people are wondering uh, what the P stands for. In my name. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's quite an interesting story. It, it's my middle initial for for uh, Patrick. But how how it got started, it just became an animal of its own to the point where I've, you know, won stuff or, or been to places where they've announced my name and people would come up to me and say, they said, Brian, I thought that was somebody different. I, I thought your name was Pete. <laughs> I said, no, my name's not Pete. I said, that's an old nickname that just won't leave me alone. So how it started, <clears throat> there was a guy when I was in high school who was a very good quarterback and he played football for a neighboring high school and his name was very similar to mine. It was actually uh, Brian Young was his name. And he, he was very successful. I think he played for Northwestern. He was a quarterback, very good. And But the funny part was because the morning call would screw up people's names oh, yeah. left and right. Butcher you know. it. Shout out to the morning call. Yeah. Uh, Love the paper. Last time I read it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, so they had this, all the stats of this poor bastard of everything he did in high school, which was incredible. He was an incredible quarterback. And whose picture do they have next to it? (laughs) But mine, (laughs) who played for a rival high school, didn't even have a quarterback number. You know, I was a linebacker. I was number 66. Oh, man. So uh, it was funny. And I put it on my refrigerator for a while as a joke. Some of my friends did as a gag. But that's kind of how it started because I finally, when wrestling came around, that was my gig. That was my sport. And they had something was written up in the paper. You know, I finally got some press, you know, I yeah, yeah, yeah. beat some kid and in a tournament and, you know, it was probably in sixth place. The hell if I remember, but they finally had my name. And of course, didn't they screw it up the same way? They had a write-up of all these different kids that were going to be uh, in this next event and and who to look forward to. And they, they do a write-up about me, and they have the picture of the kid from my <laughs> rival high school. They screwed it up again. So I was at my buddy Rick's house, and I got on the phone, and I don't know what possessed me to do this. I guess I was that age. And... I called up the morning call and I called him on it. And I said, my name is Brian P. Younty. (laughs) So it was maybe about a week later, they had 
like, I don't know if it was an apology or what it was, but they said a, a correction. <laughs> the person who was in that in that um, in, in in the last article was Brian P, and they wrote it real big. Younty didn't even spell my last name right. So it, it, it was an ongoing joke. So if I was ever introducing myself, I would just introduce myself as P Yant because of that event. And I liked, I like making people laugh. And so that stuck with me for that reason to the point where I would even exacerbate it by making sure I'd spell it P E E. So it would be extra offensive for, for, <laughs> for, for people to ask me what the hell <laughs> But yeah, yeah. It's short for short for Pee Wee. Now nah, that's great. It would have been great if in the correction they put you and him next to each other yeah. like a Street Fighter <laughs> versus bout. Like <laughs> I met him. I, I did meet him. I met him. I was <laughs> with some friends at a at a bar in one of those dumps in Caddy or Northampton, and I bumped into the guy and my friend called him out and said, Hey, that's Brian P. Younty over there. <laughs> he goes, Oh man, dude. He's like, cheers. And, but that was it. That's wild. <laughs> that was short lived. Oh man. But that's good. I'm glad we could finally get you over here. We've been talking about doing a couple stuff. You took me mm -hmm. out your big disc golfer. And yes. you took me out uh, a couple times last year. We we're going to go out a week ago this year, but, uh, Got that shoulder injury. Well, plus we both have ADHD, so we're procrastinators. <laughs> and by the time the end of the day rolls around, it's like, ah, I think I got other stuff I need to do. Yeah, I was thinking it would be great to do, maybe <laughs> throw some discs, go down to the parkway after this, but it'll probably be dark till we get out of here. We'll see. Yeah. It's what? Well, One it's day. Quarter after seven now, but it's about the it's about the journey, not about the destination, right? Yes. If you have not played disc golf, I recommend you at least try it. Anyone out there who's listening, it's a lot of fun. And when I first saw it, first time I ever played it, I thought this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> and that was because my friends kicked my ass in it very badly. And I don't like to lose. I'm a sore loser. So I said that it was, uh, it was for pussies. <laughs> <laughs> and then I played with some people who could throw that thing like two football fields. And I said, holy man. So there is another level to this. It's not just <laughs> with your buddies losing by, you know, one to 10 strokes. And I started to learn, you know, how to throw it that far just to try and do that. You know, I didn't really care about the score. And then once I figured out how to throw it really far, then I started caring about the score. And then I started having fun and won a couple tournaments. And yeah, I was going to say, really you were telling me about it. some tournaments. Mm -hmm. yeah. I want to just go along for the ride. I got no, no, uh, will to win a tournament, but I would go just to participate in one. That would be real fun. Yeah. And, and you can, that's probably the most beautiful thing about it is it's, the thing that I was amazed at with it and what made me fall in love with it, and I've been doing it 20 some years now, is it's such a huge community. It's in every single state. Like there's so much of it in the Lehigh Valley, but, and in Pennsylvania alone, but we're literally one of the weakest states for it. So you can go to New York, you can go to California, you can go to Florida, you can go to all these other places and they have more courses there than they do here. And every single course is different. Sometimes it's some dinky little nine hole course that somebody made behind a school. Um, another one will be a beautiful 27 hole course. that looks like a country club and 99% of them are free to play. So it's definitely an, an experience I'd recommend for anybody. Oh man. Free to play. You can't beat that. That's the original, the original free to play. Mm -hmm. You know what? Uh, I just had a thought, man. If you had a disc golf video game, like you remember Tony Hawk's, we had Tony Hawk's Pro Skater and mm -hmm. everybody, like the reason why I think that game had something to do with skateboarding being in the Olympics now, because 
it just became so popular, so popular. And then around the world, everywhere. You know what I mean? Yeah. If if there would just be a bunch of gamers getting into disc golf, oh man, I don't know. <laughs> it, I don't it, know, man. It got pretty popular late 70s into the 80s. That's when it really kicked in that I saw and remember. I had a good friend of mine from high school went pro and we had a couple kids from my town of Katasakwa that that went pro. Is it in the Olympics? Uh disc golf? Not disc golf. I'm talking about skateboarding. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, you did say you're No, yeah. Disc golf is nowhere even near the Olympics. Um it's still just a small unknown game that just keeps growing rapidly every year. But you were saying you're pro skateboarding, buddy from your town? Yep. The kid that got me to retire from skateboarding, Danny Pencil, if you're out there. Love you, brother. <laughs> um, he had a, I guess they called it a three-quarter pipe, or <laughs> because it's a half pipe, but it's not real big. And Danny at the time wasn't real big either, shorter than myself. And he was a really good skateboarder, and I thought I was a really good skateboarder, at, but I had only skated on the street. And I saw some of these humongous ramps that guys had, and there's no way I would ever even drop in on one of those. But so Danny's ramp gave me confidence and I went up to the top of it and he was trying to warn me about how steep the drop in is. <laughs> He's telling me squat down, you know, squat down even more. I'm like, shut up, Danny, just get the hell out of the way. I got this. You know, I'm street skater Brian. <laughs> Man, I dipped in. I thought I was gonna ride that thing to the other side, already contemplating my head, like, am I gonna am I gonna try and do, you know, the 180 when I get up there? You know, I'm thinking way ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I drop in. <laughs> Boy, I <laughs> I surfed on one foot on that skateboard for about three feet, kicked that thing up in the air hit my shoulder and my back so hard it knocked so much wind out of me i mean i sounded like a zombie oh just <laughs> danny is laughing but at the same time i can see he has concern in his eyes <laughs> probably more concerned like is this kid's parents gonna sue my dad um but yeah oh at least so. he got up for it man what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I think I, guess. I gave Danny the skateboard after that. Because <laughs> I know oh, I man. I definitely hung it up after that. I was not skateboarding. I realized that there was Danny's level and then there was my level. And if I couldn't get to Danny's level, I was done. Uh I can I can I can understand that. We had actually my buddy Johnny's better than me, but we had a we would ride around. I had a lot of fun skateboarding. Shout out to Johnny Melendez, uh, Neekin Williams. I think he's out in Texas. Wow. I don't know. Uh, trying to think. Jose Sosa. I don't know that anybody went pro. Yeah, Danny. Got sponsored. Danny was. Uh, Kevin Cucker. Danny skated for Five Borough, was, was who made his decks. That's dope. Yeah. He was, he was a street skater for them. Competition street skater. You know who picks up decks now? My son. He got a, he got like a $20. He goes, look at this, dad. It's had like the American flag on it or something. But he's like, these are $40 trucks on it. I paid 20 bucks for the whole skateboard. The deck's probably 40 bucks. I can nice. probably get, he's all into seeing what stuff is. I wonder what brand it is. Cause I found out there's a whole hidden market for skateboard decks, old school ones. Okay. Like literally, if you had an old Powell Peralta one, somebody would give you six hundred and fifty bucks for it. Well, Plus, see what, huh? I've seen like see the old Mark got. Gonzalez one go for, you know, six to eight hundred bucks. There, it's no joke. It's a collector's market. Oh man, yeah. you you know the stuff with collector. You know, I've seen your disc golf collection, man. Yeah, I. Uh, it all started with wrestling shoes was how I got into collecting. That's what you, you did. I think you tell me again. I had, and that's part of the reason why I love your podcast so much. Um, the, I will not lose podcast because 
I have the same mentality and I, I, I like to encourage that mentality and I like others that encourage that mentality. But it was a time in my life where my business went under and my wife and I were ready to, to move on and to move to New York to help um, her with her education. Um, and to make a long story short, I was broke. And hmm. by the way, my wife's internship was in Manhattan. <laughs> so <laughs> oh, those don't go together. It, it was like, not only was I broke, but I was just digging my heels into the mountain. I was about to try and sprint up in the next oh, six yeah. weeks. <laughs> so, um, but there was one thing that I really wanted to accomplish before we went on that journey. And that was, I really wanted to propose to my wife mm. and I really wanted to get her a ring that was at least one carat or more. And I wanted the diamond to be clean. I, I looked into it and there's ways you can cut costs. You know, there's like manufactured diamonds, all kinds of crap that's out there. And I didn't want that because it, it needed to symbolize what I felt for this woman and also, you know, the 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 sol solidity of my marriage so i started as a coach when i was coaching at katasakwa there were a lot of kids on the team that didn't have wrestling shoes and i was tired of seeing kids at practice roll their ankle because they had to wrestle in their socks or their bare feet mm, which yeah. is even more nasty yeah. you know a lot of these hillbilly kids <laughs> scrapping <laughs> with one another got some nasty feet so I tried to get as many cheap wrestling shoes as I could. And back in the day, it was like, all right, eBay. And I found some here and there, six, eight bucks. Picked up a bunch, had them in my cart. And just as I'm about to check out, I'm like, ah, I wonder what my old wrestling shoes that I had from high school. Wonder, mm. wonder if they got a pair of those. I'll see if I can purchase them and dust those old things off. Man, they didn't have them in my size, but they had the exact red, white, and blue combat speed Adidas pair that I had was selling for $136 and some odd cents. There was like 68 bids for it. Hmm. So I knew the guy started at 99 cents because that's what everybody did back then. And people were going nuts for it. And then the light bulb went off. Wait a minute. When I wrestled for the army, I knew that the Lehigh Valley was way more advanced in wrestling than any place else, just, just by reputation alone. So yeah. I knew a lot of the mom and pop shops around us would still have these old school shoes. So I started doing my research, started looking up all the old pairs I could think of that I might be able to get my hands on. And they were selling for three to $500 a pair. Oh, shit. So... I went to every single sporting goods store that I could find. And I said, do you have, yeah, these shoes are nice. I like what you have on the wall. I'll take that one. I'll take this one if it was old enough. But most of the time I would ask them, do you have anything older, like some old stock in the basement? Cause yeah. I, I, I need these for <laughs> kids, you know, for, for the wrestling <laughs> this <team>. guy, <laughs> snake oil sales, dude. So they would say, oh, yeah, I'd go down there and I would say, what do you want for them? You know, because they're already cracking jokes as you're going down the steps. What do you want for them? Oh, eight, 12 a pair. Maybe those I would say 20, you know, and then they look at you like, you know, trying to see are, if you're yeah, gonna go are you going to take it? <laughs> yeah. I would just look at them. I would politely say, that's a fair price. I'll take all of them and I would lay my credit card down. And that those store owners, especially back then when, you know, sporting goods stores were still alive, they were dying. So, you know, you got a guy that's coming in to throw $600 down $800. Yeah. That's a great sale in that business for them. So it was a win-win in that regard, but Lord knows I never went back and said, Hey, yeah, can I get some more? <laughs> so I, I always made sure that I bought out as much stock as I could because those business wouldn't be around that long. But yeah, I raised well over, 
I think I made 14 to 16,000 bucks in a time of about eight months of just selling off shoes that I found. And then say the numbers again. You said 14,000. Yeah. Well, probably 14 to 16. Um, and that was in about six to eight months. And that was because there was a seasonality to it, especially when I got a big chunk of them. So I was literally photographing and sawing through 30 pairs that I would list a day. Yeah. And then had my own eBay store and then kicked it to the next level, which I realized was easier on me because then people could email me and then people could make at that time. That's what you had to have in order for people to make an offer to you like a best buy offer. And I cleaned out all those shoes to the point where we could even before we left to live in Manhattan, we had some money to help us but also could join the family to go to the beach for a couple days and, you know, do little things here and there and oh, still pay, nice. still pay the bills. But, yeah, oh man. I'm a hustler. I will not lose. I'm a, I'm a hustler. <laughs> this is, I will not lose investment advice and career. <laughs> no, that's, that's good, man. This is a, uh, I think somebody will definitely be able to gain from that because I'm just I'm doing the math there. I mean, that's most and most that's more than you could make waiting tables some places. Yeah. It got scary there for a second just because of, you know, tax implications and things like that, but at the time I was just at the time I was liquidating my or or closing my um my corporation that I had, my S corporation and so because of the way that I was closing the business, I didn't take much of a tax hit on it either and was able to kind of plead poverty a little bit on it. Oh, shit. So that, that worked out to my advantage better than I had hoped. Where do you get the, like, uh, how do you recognize opportunity? I guess I have an eye for demand um, and I can... And don't get me wrong, you know, we can all think of, of our failures in life where we thought something was a sure thing, but it's all about how accurately you learn from that lesson and then apply it moving forward. So I've always been, been able to recognize something that's very similar to something else and saying, well, that last thing was successful because of xyz and if i can match that xyz with this future thing um like disc golf discs which i just discovered people were really holding on to and really held a lot of personal value to specific ones and specific mm. ones that were theirs and and it's something you lose all the time <laughs> so <laughs> so that there's your demand and I started to see the demand around me. So then learning the lesson that I had learned previously from the wrestling shoes, which was a gift from God, Allah, Buddha, whatever you believe in, karma. Um, it was a gift that was given to me. So I'm not going to look a gift horse in the mouth. <laughs> I just started grabbing those discs and throwing them in a Rubbermaid container and started keeping them in storage first in my basement, then in my mother-in-law's basement, then in a storage locker, then, and just kept collecting them. And then lo and behold, go on eBay. The most in-demand ones were the early ones that they made back in the day because people like to hang them on their wall or they like to throw them. And you can't find that exact plastic and that exact design ever again than those years that it was made. So oh, it created oh, a whole collectability market that is scarcity. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I was surprised. So yeah. give me just some numbers there. Uh, it doesn't have to be the most expensive disc you've ever sold. If you don't want to throw it out there, but oh, I don't mind saying I, that. So I know people are listening, wondering, so how much does a disc go for? Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, 
a lot of the people that I deal with, um, they're collectors also. So I always give them, I always lean to give them favorable deals, um, because they'll, they'll keep buying from me. And yeah. so you take care of those guys. Um, but online, if, if it's on an auction, then let the wolves feast. <laughs> you know? uh, the most expensive disc that I sold was two thousand uh, dollars. That was for a piece of plastic that was made in two thousand and fifteen. That was valued at that amount. And right now, if you go on eBay and you look up disc golf and you see what pops up as far as equipment discs and you sort that to the price. highest price and your eyes will pop out of your head. And oh, it's yeah, because yeah. this game goes all the way back to the seventies and it became extremely popular in the nineties. Now to the point where since the late nineties to today, they play for over $2 million a year in a professional league. So, some of you are going to try disc golf now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, listen, somebody's going to try to make that disc golf game. Somebody's it's been made be out there programming. There's a couple of oh, them. Is there disc golf games? Yeah. A couple apps oh, for your man. phone, too. Oh, man. Yeah. I'll have to check it out. I mean, there's nothing on Tony Hawk level. Uh, I'm going to give you that. That game no, gets, but gets major <clears throat> prop, especially for music wise. That, oh yeah, that, that, that's, that's what made that game more than anything. Yeah, yeah. The soundtracks were ridiculous on those. Shout out to uh, Beat of the Month podcast. They did a video game music, and Tony Hawk got uh, got featured in one of their trivia tournaments, or one of the. I think it was Superman from Tony Hawk's. Okay. But, uh, yeah, man, that's that stuff's iconic. That stuff's iconic. Um, but definitely want to get out there. It's got to get a little bit warmer. I don't want to. I mean, I used to, I used to run in really cold weather, mm -hmm. and I would love it. And I just, I don't know if I was young. I don't know what, but I'm just not in that mindset anymore. Like I, I will not lose, but I will also not run outside in 26 degree weather. Yeah. And <laughs> I used to scrap with people in a sweaty, padded locker. <laughs> so. If, if I did that as a wrestler uh, and and stuck to it, uh, I can be comfortable in just about anything. But I too, I'm I'm a fair weather disc golfer and a fair weather outside person too. There's no reason then suffering, you know, suffer just for the hell of it. Fifty layers just to say you did it. Well, you said you uh, wrestled in the army. Yes. You want to talk about that a bit? Yes. Um. I did freestyle and Greco-Roman. Um, I wrestled at Katasakwa for a little while. Um, was decent. I wasn't great. Um, and I left early. Um, I remember just I the coaches that I had, they, they were great coaches, legendary coaches. But they were kind of slowing down and we're done with it. And I wasn't seeing the same effort with the team that I was put through as a freshman, sophomore and junior. And mm. I was my junior year, which is the year that I would have been the best when I was the strongest, fastest and was crushing kids at every camp. Um, I dislocated my knee and I had to sit the whole season out. Mm. But I will go on record saying I did letter that year <laughs> because snake oil salesman Brian was so good. <laughs> I had beefed up about, man, 25, 26 pounds. <laughs> so all they would see, the smoke and mirrors, they saw the kid who they remembered who was pretty scrappy a year ago at 119 who now weighs like 140 pounds and he's got pecs and, you know, he's, he's looking like a beast. The kids would remember me who were on the, the teams that I, that yeah. I was on prior to They'd that. They'd probably shift matches then. Yeah. And That's so great. I got forfeits Yeah, <laughs> and it was bad. Like I had a, this creaky knee brace on and it was like, 
<laughs> as I'm walking out for them to raise my hand. But yeah, at the end of the year, I had a better record <laughs> than most kids on my team because they were they weren't so solid that year. And uh, but yeah, and then uh, then my senior year, you know, they they were kind of done with it, and they were supporting one kid who was a good friend of mine, um, who was a sophomore, and I supported him as well. Um, but I'm like, I don't need to be going through these practices anymore if you're really only coaching that kid because I'm coaching that kid too, you know, on the side away from practice and all of that. And I kind of lost my luster for it. But then when I was in the army, uh, I was going in a different direction, you know, just looking for something that, that had structure to it, you know, where I could build a career and my whole family has been in the military throughout history. My grandfather was a Colonel and, mm. uh, I was kind of at a crossroads where like, ah, I don't know what I want to do because my original job was on tanks and they had some, they had a wrestling room right after basic training at, at my base at Fort Riley. And they had a wrestling room that was connected to the main gym, the old gym. And I went in there and because somebody told me it existed and I watched these guys scrapping back and forth and I heard them running their mouths about this kid was a state champion. This kid over here was a regional champion. This kid was that. And I, I looked at my buddy and I said, you know, I, I thought I was putting wrestling in the past, but these guys suck. <laughs> and I'm about to have a field day. I'm going to start dunking these dudes left and right. <laughs> like watch this. <laughs> man i went out to the car i got my gym bag out of my 1991 honda prelude <laughs> got my gym bag out threw on those red white and blue adidas and i thrashed these kids and because i had wrestled freestyle a little bit in high school they had a, a team um that uh that the, the late Tossi family and uh, John Togus used to run. Um, rest in peace to all of them. Rest in peace. Uh, and it was called Talon. And it was a, a great team back in the day where we used to wrestle freestyle against other kids, uh, other schools, and also other countries. Um, so I had experience with it. And I just kept tearing kid after kid after kid. And then they had a post tournament. And by the time the post tournament came around, they had a kid at my weight class who was already on the all army team um, years prior, had had an injury, went back to a regular unit and then was just practicing down there. Well, it just so happened he was in my weight class. Mm. <laughs> so not only did I continue to beat those kids, I beat him. Now he was no cakewalk. He was no cakewalk he at all. all right. Yeah. And very experienced, you know, somebody who's done international wrestling is they're like a brick to go against offensively, defensively. You know, I had a lot more tricks in the bag against him, but offensively, they're like a brick. They're very good at hand fighting. They're very hard to shoot against. They're very hard to grapple with. What weight was this at? Uh, I, at that point, would have been about 160. Like one, and it went in kilograms and God, if I can remember what half of them were, um, uh, but, but that gives you, that gives me an idea. Yeah. It was about 160 pounds is where I was. I'm going to say it was a shade under that, like 154, which would have been the college weight. Um, and yeah, so I beat him. And then after that was invited to go to Fort Benning, um, wrestle for a bit and, wrestled in a couple events here and there. And then they had the armed forces tournament, which I won. And then I came back and it was kind of like I was done with it. <laughs> to be honest with you, I separated my yeah. shoulder real bad in the army. Yeah. Well, no, uh, it was, it was because of wrestling. Another side story. <laughs> <laughs> um, I came back ran into an old high school buddy who was running his mouth who played fullback at um, Lafayette College. And 
his frat brothers thought that he couldn't be beaten and he was a big man definitely 50 pounds more than me at the time <laughs> nah, I, I see where this and is and yeah you know stupid alcohol and stupid testosterone and I wrestled that kid on the fraternity floor in the basement. <laughs> and I guarantee you the Fiji house will not forget because that place was rocking. <laughs> they set us up like, <laughs> like it was King Kong Bundy versus <laughs> Hulk Hogan or John Cena versus whoever, whoever the hell oh, he used man. to beat on. Um, they were going nuts. And all I remember was waking up on that nasty ass Fiji floor no way <laughs> having no idea how i got there and why my shoulder was killing me because i had slept on it so woke up the next day my buddy was sore he told me i hit him with a bunch of freestyle moves and <laughs> he had called it quits and, and then i was hanging out with some of his friends and then you know i fell asleep on the floor apparently so the whole plane ride home shoulder was killing me I get to practice. I can't even do one push-up. And I would lead the team in PT in, in push-ups and sit-ups all the time um, in the PT score. And also it was I was really tenacious with those tests because it helped you get promoted and things like that. And I could not do a push-up and my shoulder was killing me. And they said, you need to go see Doc. So okay. I go in this room, there's three trainers in there. And, th and that's what they were. They were docs, you know, medical doc you. doctors so for the army. But more like you know, a sports trainer? Or kind of. Kind of. Were, like, were they MDs? Military's real cheap. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Ain't nobody floating an MD in that room. It was Specialist <laughs> Jones and PFC Larry. <laughs> Eyeballing you up. And also got one finger on the the manual they got in basic training oh man and uh they all three of them look at me and this is how obvious it was to everyone except for myself apparently and they said it's out what, what do you mean it's out mm. i go like you know i'm out for the match or <laughs> what are you what are you saying there just now he goes your, your shoulder it's out <laughs> we can see it it's it looks like you have a broken collarbone I'm like, no, it's not my collarbone. I said, and I can rotate it. And they're like, no, 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 no. And I'm sure it just crunch, 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 crunch. <laughs> oh, shoot. So it was one of those moments where one guy <laughs> gripped me up like we were about to arm wrestle. And the other guy kind of went underneath and they just rotated my elbow just a little bit. And it went, boom, popped into place. And holy God, that was the most pain I had felt and also the most pleasure at the same time because it was relief. And I got it. Oh, man. And, and I was thinking, man, I, that was like a six to eight hour flight with layovers I had with this thing. My God. So um, I stopped wrestling um, because the Army was terrible at medical procedures and somebody who was on the boxing team a guy named hog was his name a very good boxer uh he showed me the explorative surgery that the military did on him and he had a scar that was humongous and he said you get out of here he goes it's just a dot here and a dot there to fix your shoulder he goes these people don't know what they're doing oh shoot so i got up said i'm not wrestling anymore which is odd for somebody who just won the championship but then I went back to Fort Riley and then I helped train a bunch of guys and I really fell in love with coaching and all the guys that I trained ended up in the finals um, for this, uh, the post championship, the same one that I had won previously to get onto that team the year prior. Um, they had all made it to the finals. None of them won, <laughs> but they all made it to the finals and none of them expected to get there. And the, the shame of it was the one guy who didn't get to compete was my boy, uh, Chief, a uh, very large Native American who wrestled in the heavyweight division. Chief got so good from me practicing with him, I could not score a point on that kid. 
And I was an armed forces champion. So for me to just teach a guy and him to pick it up that fast, he was an extraordinary athlete. Well, wow. chief, you know, ended up for some disciplinary reason. Um, he, he wasn't allowed to wrestle in the tournament and which was, you know, some trumped up charges of a sergeant that didn't like him because chief was the kind of guy to tell you to go pound sand. Um, yeah. He didn't get to wrestle in that tournament, but he was the best wrestler I ever met as far as training and competed against. So he is who got my red, white, and blue combat speeds. Oh man. He brings it back to the combat speeds. Yep. There's a, there's a funny ending to that, to the whole thing. Um, there are some wrestling shoes today that sell for a lot of money, but Adidas, the company caught on to it. They realized, wait a minute, we can't sell the shoes that we got now for 60 bucks. They're just rotten on the shelves, but there's people paying a thousand dollars for these pairs of wrestling shoes. We're going to keep our eye on this. And I noticed the shift change all in one year. And thank goodness it was when I had sold my last pairs. Adidas re-released all the old shoes that they used to make. And a lot of, they weren't the same exact yeah. style. Some yeah. of them, some of them damn near were, but it was like a newer futuristic style that I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'd rock them. <laughs> they were cool. Yeah. But because they had taken that nostalgia away from it to where to the naked eye, you couldn't really tell so much of the difference unless you really looked at it or really were a collector and nobody really cared about that. No, that's they, when they reprint stuff. I mean, I think it's like that with Pokemon cards. Like they, you can get stuff that's not first generation, but it just makes the other stuff crazier. Wrestling really is. When you think about the wrestling shoe thing, it really is a very unique market because when you play any other sport, there's 10 million different accent items you can add and don't get me wrong i've seen it in wrestling too a guy will have like a bright neon colored knee pad or something like that but that's it let's look at the other crap you got to wear when you wrestle <laughs> there is nothing flattering <laughs> about yeah. the wrestling singlet, the singlet. <laughs> a singlet that's disgusting it's like a <laughs> go out here you're gonna be a cirque du soleil performer today oh, and, man. and and the earmuffs like, I understand the protection because, you know, I've seen what the dog-eared gremlin people look like when their ears get all boxed up. Cauliflower. But, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, you can't tell me in all this time that somebody didn't dream up a better design or <laughs> system than the crap <laughs> that they've been rolling. He's got it on that uh, <laughs> on that trophy I got. I think he's wearing those big ones. They, they got a little bit better. They had like the, um, but I didn't like those ones. I preferred the older designs that fit more like these damn earphones. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> that's what they, these earphones are slender compared to that. Yeah, no, and, I, and then it stuck around. And I had long hair when I wrestled, so mm, um, I, did I too. think for I think my my, my final year, and uh, yeah, I would go, I would get it braided right mm. before a match, like an ass. Pay my like I would work overnight to get my hair braided to go and wrestle like i i was living i was living two lives at the same time i should not have been working in high school but uh anytime well, high school maybe but not 10th grade i had coaches i don't know why maybe that was the way caddy coached um they would encourage you anytime you wrestled somebody that had long hair teach him a lesson <laughs> <laughs> that that use it as a weapon against them um and i'll never forget the first year i was at districts um i i was wrestling against this kid who was really good i mean i really it, it was immediately in the first period i realized that this kid was better than me i was probably about to get beat and go home early the referee stops the match kid's kicking my ass pretty good and he blows the whistle and he goes ah 
uh, I can't have this kid with his long hair like this. He's going to have to cut that or you're going to need a shower cap or something like that. And mm-hmm. his coaches were like, well, we don't have anything like that. And they're like, like, how much do we need to take off? And he, he said, you just need to cut like by the length of the neck. And this kid had this long rat tail. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he was from Lee Heighton. <laughs> and he had this long rat tail. And he takes a look at me, takes a look at the ref and goes, cut my hair. Are you shitting me? This is good luck for states. I'm a track athlete. You can have this wrestling crap. Good luck, kid. Shakes my hand, (laughs) rips off the Velcro things, throws them at the referee and just peaced out. And I'm like. I hope to be that guy one day. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I hope to not give a damn about this so much that I could just peace out and walk off my career off the mat like that. I don't know if I would have made that decision, man. If you're listening, That's... I want to know who you are. Yeah, Mystery right? man from Lee Heighton. <laughs> you're probably running a successful no, car the, dealership. The username's going to check out in the comments. It'll be like, good luck, rat tail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rat Daily 245. Yeah. After hearing my prior story, now he's going to want to rematch in front of family and friends. <laughs> aye, aye, aye. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. No, I, had, I don't even know. There's a lot of guys I couldn't even shout out from from matches. I just don't, I just don't remember. Well, I remember the names like yesterday of the kids that were really good. The kids that put the wood to me. There's one kid... Uh, from Northampton, his name was Ryan Gumlock, and he was he was a class act. He was very good, but just his his technique was damn near unbeatable. And I know it's not unbeatable because unfortunately he never won a state title. He placed third, um, but he was every year his record was like fifty two and one, fifty two and two. So the guy who beat him was whoever the guy was that made him not become the state yeah. champion yeah. or in the running for it. And But he was one of, one of the best that I ever ran into. But there, there were lots of names, you know, lots of great kids, lots of great kids on my team. And I'll tell you some of the greatest kids, the greatest wrestlers were the guys who weren't the state champions. Some of the greatest coaches, uh, shout out to Randy Cruz at Bethlehem Catholic High School. Um, One of the greatest coaches. And I remember him back then. And he, like me, had a flair for, that's a really cool move. I want to learn it. And then I want to teach it to this dude over here because it'd be really good for him. He had that compassion to spread it. And- I found that that was the poison that actually hurt a lot of people in that sport too, is the people who were too selfish with it, who were trying to, you know, keep all their own secrets in their own bags so they could make sure that they would win the bout out to be on the team. Well, you're cutting yourself short, buddy, <laughs> because you, yeah. yeah, you might be able to make the team, but guess what? Now we're all gunning to teach him a move to beat you next time. So no, I, I understand. I, I understood that even then that sometimes the best coaches aren't, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's great coaches that had the record and stuff, too. But I, yeah, I got to coach with a lot of great coaches, too. I mean, there were so many um, coach Crowell at Nazareth um, did some camps with him, helped him out when he was. In, in between um, when he before he went to Nazareth, he uh, he was helping a lot of the teams up at Banger High School, how I somehow got wrapped into helping some people. And he was he was a, a fun person to learn from. Uh, uh, Coach Togus uh, from Parkland. He was a he was a legend. My my high school coach, Mike Connor from Catasauqua, he was another one. But there you go. Uh Greg Strobel, uh, who was the head coach at Lehigh for many years. That man, every time I was around him, he was one of those coaches that never said much. Like when he, he when he would coach, 
and he coached legendary teams at Lehigh. Um, the wrestler just had to look at him when they needed advice, and he knew the answer like that. And I never met a coach like him. I remembered I was at Banger, and uh, it, it was a night where Coach Crowell wasn't there. It was just uh, Greg Strobel. And he had retired from Lehigh. He wasn't their coach anymore. And there was this one kid who was struggling against this other kid, trying to pin him, and the other kid kept getting out. And Greg Strobel saw this kid get him again, and he watched him fighting, watched him fighting, but this time the kid would not give up. I mean, he's just holding on with everything he's got. And I came over and I said, listen, if you keep doing that, you're going to run out of gas. A trick I want you to do is take your fingers and dig them into the mat like claws. And you can hold his leg that way. And you can hold his, his head and his shoulder mm -hmm. that way. And Greg Strobel saw that and he came running over and he goes, better yet. Now take your fingers and crawl them to one another. And I watched this kid just wiggling his fingers Locked it up like it was nothing. Pinned the guy flat. Hmm. That was all he said. <laughs> he did like an about face. He knew it was going to work before the kid even moved a digit, turned around and sat down and just kind of looked up and went, uh, yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, man, there, there are people that are that talented that have just seen it all. Yeah. They see something. They see something we don't see. I got to shout out uh, Tommy Durhammer. Yes. Tom Durhammer, my coach. And uh, Very good can't, coach. can't shout him out without uh, Birch. B. Birch. Oh, Billy Birch. Billy Birch, yeah. I'm familiar with both of those gentlemen. Yeah. Billy Birch wrestled um, two people from my high school. Uh, Brad Lauer and Joe Stofko. Lost to one, beat the other. Um. And your coach, Durhammer, back when I had a an, a an trophy and awards business, I designed his Coach of the Year award. Oh yeah, for District Eleven, um, which uh, for the last time I saw him and talked to him at a Deer fundraiser for basketball, he uh, he told me he loves it and he still has it, has his headgear in it, so. <laughs> yeah. that's that's nice i remember lasering it in my living room i don't think i saw i don't think i was at the deer of wrestling reunion last year i have to check that out this mm -hmm. year it's like something i like to stick a part of but a bunch of those guys are still getting together that's cool that you know, we i i i went to katasakwa and we used to practice with them every single year we would go over there quite a few times and scrap with them. And I think you said you really didn't do that. Did, did you practice with caddy at all? Were they still coming over there? Not caddy. We were practicing with, um, not Saucon Valley. What's the other, maybe it was Saucon Valley, the blue and white. Southern um, Lehigh. Not Southern Salisbury. Lehigh. Salisbury. That's okay. the one. Yeah. I always get Salisbury. Those three that you just said, I always get those mixed up. They're like some shade of blue. It's a small town. But um, no, we would go with Salisbury. We did Central a few times. Um, we would go up to uh, Penn Argyle. My oh, coach, wow. Durhammer, took us around some day. He, he would, you know, and he'd say this Saturday, only on like a Saturday. We'd go and do something, or if it was before something, I think the farthest we went was Penn Argyle. Uh, Becca, mm -hmm. Becca, we would go over and train at Becca. And uh, was it was Sal, at, was Sal at Becca at that time? I want to say I was training with Crivolero. Yeah. Um, I can't remember if he was still with the old guard of coaches yet. Or if that was when Sal came over there. I don't know. We'll have to check. I go back. I, if I could go back now, like I document everything podcasting, but I have 
three albums that are nowhere to be found. If you're listening to this or if you tag somebody who has my first album, I just thought about that. Somebody probably we sold like 200 copies my senior year. Somebody has it stored somewhere in an old CD case or something. <laughs> I just need it can have scratches on it. I'll put it out with the with the scratches. I just want to put it out digitally. I want to play it for my son. But um, I think we can start landing this plane soon, man. Yeah. Um, one thing you you kind of talked to me about earlier that I'm sure we'll elaborate on in a future episode, but the new the new uh, collectible thing um, beyond you know disc golf crap, which is something I discovered, is definitely cryptocurrency. Yeah. And, and and that's a topic that not enough people are diving into. And I'd like to do like an entire podcast episode with you so you can title it as that too to get the yeah, uh, yeah. SEO for it. But uh cryptocurrency is definitely a a lucrative future thing. And uh, and until you learn the technology, um that then, then uh if you're a skeptic like I am, especially with investments, um you're kind of flying blind and just throwing money in different directions. But when you understand the technology and what the future purpose of it can be, you're at a ground floor of investing that is literally pennies on the dollar. So if you're looking for anything out there to help you to enhance, like maybe you got started with a retirement plan late in your life and i am not licensed or authorized to give this advice so you know if, what you mean man this is I'm, i will not no, lose I, i'm not and no. and you're always supposed to say that so it, yeah it, if you lose your ass doing this because you made stupid decisions go pound sand <laughs> <laughs> but no i i mean it like of of all of the opportunities that are out there it's a 100 time to 300 time uh whatever value of what you're putting into it. And and there are people that are losing a lot of money because guess what? We ain't doing shit with it. Like we're not, we're not really trading with cryptocurrency yet, but the advantages are so steep versus the disadvantages. And it puts so much money back in people's pockets and takes the crooked banks out of it. And I don't mean banks period. We always need banks. Um, the crooked banks, the ones that are charging you fees out the wazoo for every breath you take with your money. Cryptocurrency was kind of the pirated way away from the banks many years ago. Um, and it's grown in momentum so much that the United States, we are 12th in line as far as popularity, growth, and everything, there are entire countries that are using this as currency and have been. And that's why new currencies continue to come out that support different markets. So you'll have to do your own homework on the ones that work. But if there's anything, if, if anyone's out there seeking um, an opportunity to, to make some money in a future investment, Every single one of the apps that sell these things will cash you out instantly. So it, it's one of the most low risk things that I've ever gotten into, but also the most lucrative as far as investments go. And I know my man Tony here has started to do it. No, absolutely. And I did what you said, which was research. And um, <clears throat> I'm not even all the way in. There's still more research that I want to do. Yeah. got a foot just to be able to watch something and and check it out but um definitely something i want to check out and this is coming from the guy that made sixteen thousand dollars in <laughs> seven or eight months yeah realizing an opportunity with something like wrestling shoes and disc golf so uh discs reselling discs so yeah again this is not advice Nobody comes here for news or advice or anything like this, but I think it was great to have you on to find out who you are. Thank you. Let the guests know about it. You're definitely welcome to come back when you have. I know there's some other things we've talked about off camera that Johnny's phone. 
we got going on. <laughs> I want to be here to witness this thing. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. But um, let's see. I don't have my notes up with the exit, so I'm going to completely wing it, man. This is I Will Not Lose, stories of success learned from failure. To support the show, visit shows.acast.com slash I Will Not Lose or subscribe on your favorite podcast player. Share the episode, leave a comment. Whatever you do, your contribution is greatly appreciated. So I will not lose. Thanks for listening.